So the book of Romans is about a particular subject. And that subject is the question, what is righteousness and how do you get it? We're going to go through the background of Romans. And then we're going to look at this word righteousness. And then I'm going to give you the summary argument in chapters 9 and 10. This is the pinnacle argument of the whole book. The reason the book of Romans is about that topic, righteousness, is because Paul is defending something. He is defending his message. So here's what happened. Paul was met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was turned from being a zealous Jew who he says, Paul says of himself, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was zealous for the law. I was so zealous for the law, I was willing to persecute anyone who would go against what we say, even to death. I was met by Jesus, and he told me, you come follow me now, and I'm calling you to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Irony of ironies, you have the guy who probably would not have anything whatsoever to do with Gentiles because they're unclean who would be at the pinnacle of the people who would have nothing to do with Gentiles because he was the most observant of the observant. And now he's called to go to these people and be their apostle. He tells us in 1 Corinthians that he did not do so enthusiastically. He says he did so because woe is me if I don't do what I was told. (laughs) And he says if I embrace this, I get an amazing reward. So I'm going to do it willingly. So Paul is out ministering to the Gentiles and he's on his way to Asia maybe China and while he's on his way to Asia he has a dream and this guy says come over to Macedonia so he reverses course and goes to Macedonia Greece and he spends most of his time then in the Greek world rather than the Asian world we're the result of that because Greece got Christianized Rome got Christianized and we live in a Roman world so while he's Christianizing these Greek colonies that have become Roman colonies, he gets some information. And he's told that there's some people in Rome that are telling the church at Rome, your gospel is a heresy. What you're telling these people is heretical and that they should stop listening to you and listen to them. So now, put yourself in Paul's place. You have been called to be a minister to the Gentiles. You are in the Gentile world. The Gentile world is ruled by who? this time in history. Rome. The center of the world is where? Rome. The church at Rome is very famous. Persecuted, but they are faithful. They're famously faithful. Now, Paul had not been to Rome because his job was not to go and talk to churches that already existed. His job, as he describes it himself, is to go where no man has gone before. To seek out new worlds. No, he's going where the gospel's not been And he's going to plant new churches and raise up these churches. So if you go through his letters, he's got the letter to the Corinthians because that was a letter back to a church he planted. Ephesians was a letter back to the church he planted. Colossians was a letter back to the church he planted. Galatians is a letter back to a church that he had planted. Philippians is a letter back to a church he had planted. Thessalonians, Thessalonica which is Macedonia or northern Greece, is a letter back to a church he had planted. The letter to the individuals, Timothy, Titus, they're ministers in the churches that he had planted. But there's one exception, Rome. He had never been to Rome. He says, I don't minister to churches I didn't plant. And yet he wrote a letter to Rome. Now put yourself in Paul's shoes. If your mission is to the Gentiles, and your mission is to share the gospel with them and build them up, 
in the gospel and you hear that everything you're teaching is under attack in Rome, are you concerned that the world-famous Christians in the center of the world, in the place where all roads lead to, that dominates the whole world, that those believers may accept the notion that what you're teaching is heretical. Are you concerned? A little bit. In fact, the way Paul says it is, our message is being slandered. Have you ever been slandered? What do you want to do when you've been slandered? You want to defend yourself. Interestingly enough, Paul does not defend himself. He defends two things in this book. His authority, his message. Because that's what he's called to do. That's what his calling is. His calling is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So, as you go through Romans, you get this argument. And what is the slander? What is the slander that he's being slandered with? These opposing Jewish authorities. So he's a Jewish authority. He's got opposing Jewish authorities. Paul's not a real apostle. He's a fake apostle. And he has a fake gospel. Because, and here's what they say, because what Paul is teaching is that you ought to do evil. He's teaching you should do evil, that good may come. This is in chapter 3. And Paul says it this way. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are so slanderously reported and some affirm we say. Slander. Let us do evil that good may come. Now, why would they characterize Paul's teaching that way? Why? It's because Paul was teaching we're saved by grace. You cannot out the grace of God. Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. Past, present, future. All the sins of the world were heaped on Jesus. And no amount of doing good can add one bit to what Jesus did for us. Therefore... Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. If we are in Christ, our righteousness is purely because of faith, because it's been imputed to us by Jesus. And from then on, it's the same. We cannot add to the righteousness of Christ. It's all by grace. They don't like that. What they want to say is, no, 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 no. Believing Jesus, that's great. But then you've got to follow the law. God gave circumcision to Abraham. He gave the law to Moses. What sense does it make? For God to give the circumcision and then give the law. And then for us just to ignore it. What Paul is saying is, what you ought to do is believe in Jesus and then go have a great time. Live it up. Because now you're righteous and nothing can undo it. And if you could sin without any consequences, of course you would. But that's what we want to do, right? That's what we want to do, sin a ton. And so obviously, if you believe Paul's message, then you would sin a ton. No, he's a heretic. So don't listen to Paul. Listen to us. Be circumcised. Follow the law. That's the conflict. So what they're arguing over is how do you get righteous? The competing authorities are saying you get righteous by accepting Jesus as Messiah. Perhaps if they're believing Jews that believe this, which could be the case. There were believing Jews that thought that in Acts 15 when this big council was happening. Could be unbelieving Jews that are just trying to suck them out of it. We don't know for sure. Because Paul doesn't really defend the notion of Jesus as being the true Messiah, I'm going to assume it's more likely that they accepted Jesus as Messiah. But the question then is, okay, what is righteousness? How does it come from? Does it come from following the law? Or does it come from something else? And Paul says, yes, something else by faith. That's the conflict. 
Where does righteousness come from? And what is righteousness? So let's just look at a few verses here. Chapter 1, verse 16. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to look at this word righteousness. I've given you the background of Romans already. We just did that. And then we're going to look at this word righteousness. And then I'm going to give you the summary argument in chapters 9 and 10. So we've done the background. Now we'll do the word. Let me just give you this uh, 1, 16, 17. And we'll, we'll leverage off of this for this word. I, this is Paul speaking, to the Gentile believers whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Two important things there. One is, these are world famous believers that got this letter. Don't ever forget that. He did not write this letter to people to show them how to become a Christian. This is not a, let's now convert from Judaism to Baptist letter. These are people that already are believers. World-famous believers. And the second important thing about verse 8 is you all is biblical. (laughs) Okay, so verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now when someone slanders you, they're trying to shame you, right? Okay, no, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why am I not ashamed? Because it's the power of God to salvation. And we have to ask salvation from what? You know, salvation always means something's being delivered from something. But we'll talk about that. It's salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. So, these detractors that are coming in, salvation for them. For you Gentile believers whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, salvation for you. Power. Gospel is power for salvation. For in it, the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed. This is what this is about. The righteousness of God being revealed. How is it revealed? From faith. It's revealed from faith. To faith. So when you say from faith to faith, that's saying from beginning to end. Where does it start? Faith. Where does it end? Faith. From beginning to end. It starts at faith and ends in faith. So the gospel is power. We like power. For salvation, deliverance, from what? If we're talking about righteousness, what are we being delivered from? Unrighteousness. And sin is what makes us unrighteous, right? So this gospel is power to be delivered all the way through, but always from faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So let's look at some words. The Greek word diakosune, did I say that right? Hey, how about that? The Greek word diakosune is a noun. It's translated righteousness in Romans 30 times. This is just a letter. And it says the word righteousness, dikasune, 30 times. Why? Because that's what this letter is about. It's about righteousness. Now, of course, every noun like righteousness can have, can have an adverb form and a verb form. The adverb form is dikios. Dikios. And dikaios is a, you know, dikasune, dike, they're both derivatives of dike, 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 we would say. But you pronounce all the vowels in Greek. So, and, and it's usually translated just. Isn't that interesting? Because justice and righteousness are the same thing. Now, why is that important? It's important because we don't use the word righteousness anymore. So we got one of the most important books in the Bible about a topic that doesn't exist in our society. The only way we use righteous is where we're a turtle super dude and finding Nebo. 
That's the only place you'll see righteous. Righteous, dude. But that's really righteous. That's the only time you'll hear it. It's something like, or self-righteous. Which is what? A good thing or a bad thing? So here we have the thing we want is a word we don't even use. That's a problem. Now, we can use justice, though, because it's the same thing. But we have a connotation problem here. Because when we use the word justice, what are we always referring to? Somebody bad that went to jail. Or somebody that did something wrong that's paying a fine. But let's just think about that. When we take someone and we say, you shouldn't do that, pay a fine, what are we trying to send the message to that person? What's the concept behind that? Don't do that anymore because that behavior is not in line. You know, when you say something is on your Word document is right justified, what does that mean? Everything lines up on the right side. If it's left justified, what does it mean? It's lined up on the left side. If it's center justified, what does it mean? It's lined up on the center. So we have a standard and we say, you're not lining up with the standard and so you have to be corrected because that standard will not fit in society. Now, why do we care about that? Because if too many people don't line up on the standard, society will tear apart with violence. And what is the opposite of violence? Harmony. Okay, so harmony. Our standard for society is harmony. Now, we're going to get to pictures in later segments of this series about what righteousness looks like. And we'll go into those in some depth. But real briefly, one of the big pictures that are used for harmony in the Bible is a human body. Uh, In fact, this word diakosune is what the book Plato's Republic is about. Plato's Republic used to be considered one of the seminal works that shaped Western civilization. Now it's the Kardashians. We've had a slight change in that respect. But back for the hundreds of years before we got into pop culture, people would look at the Republic and say, this shaped our culture. So let's go back to like our roots. And this book that used to be a seminal work was about this question. What is Daikasune? And how do you achieve it? Because this is the question that's reverberated throughout history. I, I think when Paul wrote Romans, you know, he was a scholar of Jewish literature. I mean, he knew the Bible word perfect. Their Awana program wasn't learn key verses. It was learn all the verses. And he knew the whole thing. And he knew Greek philosophy. You can, you can see that in the book of Acts. Like he'll quote their own poets back to him. The guy was a genius. And I think when he wrote the book of Romans, he's writing a a counter to the slander. And while he's at it, he goes and writes a counter to Plato and the Greek philosophers at the same time. Because it's basically the same argument. And you know, interestingly enough, they both came up with roughly the same answer. It's harmony. And what, what Plato says is, you know... If we, can, if we can deduce what a, what a Daikasune uh, city would look like, then we'll know what Daikasune is. That's how he goes through his republic. And what he comes up with is a, a city where everybody does what they do best for the maximum benefit of the city. That was his answer. And Paul comes up, he says, it's like a human body, where every part of the body does exactly what it does best. An eye looks sees, an ear hears. You don't have an eyelash saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm unappreciated. 
So I want to be a big toe. You know, you don't have that. Everything does what it does best. So they really come up with the same conclusion in that respect. In another respect, they come up with dramatically different conclusions. Because Paul says, but there's only one head. There's only one head. And that's Jesus Christ. So if everybody's doing what Jesus Christ says to do, then you have righteousness, you have harmony. And Plato says there's this guardian class. And I won't go into it, but if I told you his ideal for the guardian class, it would make you sick. And we've got lots of people that want to be in that guardian class to be the head to tell everybody else what righteousness looks like. And we always have had. Sometimes they kill people because they're not being righteous enough, meaning they don't do what they're told. Okay? That's, human history is replete with that. But in terms of what it's supposed to look like, they, they came up with the same answer. So diakosune, righteousness, just, and then the verb form is justified. Dikaio, something like that. Dikaio. What is it? Dikaio. Thank you. Dikaio is the verb. And it's usually translated justified. Shows up 14 times. 30 times the noun form dikaio, 7 times dikaios. The adjective form, dakao, verb, 14 times. Total of 51 times in this short letter. Because that's what it's about. And how do you get it? You get it from faith to faith. Alright, so just going to skip right ahead now to the seminal argument. First, let's look at his question of how you don't get righteousness. Let's look at 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Meaning Jews. Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, they're all under sin. Sin, as we said before, somebody said, sin is what makes righteousness turn into unrighteousness. As it is written, and now Paul goes into word perfect, he's now quoting the Old Testament, there's none righteous, no, not one. So how many people have diakosune on their own? None. Yeah, Jesus, so that's right. So one, but none None that aren't God. None who understands. None who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've all become unprofitable. There's none who does good. Not a one. Their throat's an open tomb. Their their tongues, they practice deceit. Everybody's a liar. If you don't believe that, just hang around a three-year-old for a while. No one has to teach them how to lie. Their feet are swift to shed blood. If you don't believe that, hang around a three-year-old for a while. They are absolutely programmed to be violent. Yeah. Last night we had the two little guys on the floor. Both uh, Well, they're actually two-year-olds. It starts earlier, and one of them has the other in the headlock. They're trying to kill him. Okay. Cain and Abel, we've got them in our midst. Destruction and misery are in their way. And the way of peace they have not known. If you don't believe that, hang around a three-year-old for a while. and uh, Because they do not like peace when they don't get their own way. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And if they can get away with it, they will until the fear of dad comes in, right? Okay, so we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, the whole world become guilty before God. So that's where we start. Everybody's guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Dikasune, the justified, I guess, which one is that? Is that uh, justified? Righteous, yeah. It's probably the noun form, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's an that's a adjective form, like a just person. Okay, so nobody is going to get righteousness in his sight. All you get is knowledge of sin. That's what you get from the law. That's it. That's all it does, which is useful. It's nice that it's the current reality, as Herman would say. Like, okay, I'm broken and I'm not left justified. 
I'm on the right side of the page. I'm supposed to be on the left side of the page. That's a good starting place. But that's all you get from the law. Verse 21, though. But now the righteousness of God. So we got righteousness of men. We can have righteousness of men. But we, the righteousness of God comes apart from the law. And it's revealed how? Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this Bible that these guys are using to tell you circumcision and then follow law, what it actually focuses on is righteousness of God comes by faith to all and on all who what? Believe. So not do the rules, it's believe the message. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, this is Dakasune derivative of, of again, freely by His grace. So this is Paul's gospel. Righteousness comes freely, without obligation, without any requirements, freely. That's how it comes. Now, let's go to seminal argument in verse in chapter nine. So he kind of he kind of gets to this. He's gone through all this, and he says in verse fourteen, chapter nine, verse fourteen. So what shall we say then? So what does all this mean? So what's the bottom line? So what? So what? What's the point of all this? So what, what do we say then? We say this. Well, and then he asks another question. So is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. He says, what shall we say then? Multiple times. So verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. Isn't that an interesting thought? Okay, so what are the Gentiles looking for? Not righteousness. Do you know anybody that's looking for not righteousness? That's looking for their own way? Do you know anybody that's not looking for not righteousness. If you don't know anybody, come over to our house and we'll let you hang around our three-year-olds. Because that's what all of us do. We're all seeking not righteousness. And what did they find while they were seeking not righteousness? Righteousness. How did that happen? The righteousness came because they believed. They weren't looking for it, but they found it through faith. But Israel, verse 31, pursuing the law of righteousness... So what is Israel pursuing? Righteousness. How are they pursuing it? From the law. And what did they get? Not righteousness. So the Gentiles who were not looking for righteousness found it. And the Jews who were looking for righteousness didn't find it. That's the bottom line. So, dear Romans, who do you want to listen to? Do you want to listen to the people who led you to where you are now? Are these new people coming in trying to get you to change? You found righteousness, and these people who didn't find righteousness are trying to sway you. Verse 32, why? Because they did not seek Israel. Why did Israel not find the law of righteousness? Because they didn't seek it by faith, but by the law. Then skip down to 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. And this is what Moses says about this. Now, is the righteousness of the law something that brings you righteousness? No. Because Israel's pursuing the law of righteousness. Did they find righteousness by pursuing the law of righteousness? No. So Moses says this about the law of righteousness. So is this going to work? Moses wrote it. Is it going to work? No. It's not going to work. Because the righteousness of law doesn't get righteousness. This is real important. Because you tend to say, oh, if Moses wrote it, then it's good. Well, it is good. It just doesn't work. Okay? The law is good. The law gives you one thing. What is it? Knowledge of sin. It's going to work for that. Is it going to bring you righteous? No. Okay. So this is what Moses says. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Boom. He just just went past it. Okay. So what's he saying here? 
The man who does these things shall live by them is one verse out of Leviticus 18. And you know how maybe you'll be talking to a friend and you'll use like one quote out of a movie or one quote out of a book or one quote out of a speech or something like that and the other person laughs because they know the context that you're using that quote or, or, or a line from a joke that you guys use all the time or something. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He expects you to have like the whole context of this of this chapter. And here's what Leviticus 18 says. It says, uh, okay, Moses, tell the people my words here. You're coming out of Egypt. You saw a lot of stuff in Egypt. Don't do any of that. You're going into Canaan. You're going to see a lot more in Canaan. Don't do what you see there either. Do what I tell you to do. And here's what I'm telling you to do. And the, the phrase it uses is uncovered nakedness, but it's basically have sexual relations, okay? So this is what you saw in Egypt and what you're going to in Canaan. Don't have sexual relations with your close relatives. Don't do that. Because that's what they do in these two places. Don't do that. And then it goes in and says, don't have sexual relations with your mom. Don't have sexual relations with your father's wife. You just said close relations, and then you said mom, and then you said father's wife. Isn't that self-evident when, by the umbrella? of so? Yes, it is. Don't have sexual relations with your sister or your mother's daughter or your father's daughter, whether born in another place or born at home. So what's this thing doing? It's taking a very simple concept and then plugging up the loopholes. Right? Well, why do you need, when you do law, to plug up loopholes? Because of attorneys. <laughs> if you want to get out of a law, what do you do? Yeah, okay. Okay, here's the tax code. I'm hiring you, attorney. And the reason I'm hiring you is so I don't have to pay these taxes. Find a loophole. Right? So the reason the law doesn't work is because it doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change what you want to do. It doesn't change what your objective is. And Paul eviscerates these false competing authorities in this letter to the Romans because he says one of the most important arguments you need to understand is they don't follow their own rules. They do the opposite of everything they say. Start with that. Okay, so it doesn't work if people would do that. Would it bring them righteousness? Yes. It would. Moses is not writing something that's wrong. He's just writing something that doesn't work. And the Israelites proved it. So Leviticus was the law they were given before they rejected going into the promised land. Then we have all those people die. Wages of sin is death. That's what they got. Death in the desert. Now, God always took care of them. They weren't rejected by God. Their belonging wasn't rejected. Clothes didn't wear out. Free food. They were on welfare the whole time. Okay? All they got to do is go pick it up. Soup kitchen. Forty years of soup kitchen. And then, and at the end of that, you have a new generation, they get the law again. Deuteronomy. Duo, duo, second time. And in Deuteronomy, then, Moses gives the law again. And this time, it's righteousness of faith. So he says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now if you don't know Deuteronomy, that is incomprehensible. I'm just telling you. You will not unravel that without going back and looking at Deuteronomy. And here's what Deuteronomy says. So Moses is giving the law a second time. And he says, look, this is simple. This is not rocket surgery. This is easy. It's real simple. 
You know what's right, and then you do it. Look, you know what's right, so believe it, and then speak it, and then do it. Look, I'm laying before you today two roads. Road A is the road of blessing, abundance. And road B is the road of cursing and judgment. Road A is the road of life. Road B is the road of death. If you'll do what I ask you to do, if you'll do what you know is right, you know it. Just believe it and do it. And then you'll have life. You'll have abundance. You'll have joy. And if you choose to go the other way, then you'll have death. And one of the deaths you're going to have is you're going to be exiled from this land. You're not going to get to live in it anymore. Real simple. And So choose life. Make a decision to do what you know is right inside. Believe it. And then do it. Well, that's what he's saying here. And of course the head is Christ. He goes on, what these things are, you know, do not say in your heart, blah, blah, blah. When he says this is simple, he says in Deuteronomy, you don't have to ask a missionary to come from over the sea and explain it. You don't have to ask a, a, an angel to come down and explain this. You, you know it already. This is not, this is not hard. This is simple. Just, not, just believe it. And he, then in verse 9, he kind of sums the whole thing up. If you want to be righteous, then what you do is confess, believe, believe, confess. This is a chiasm. A, B, B, A. In any chiasm, the key thing's in the middle. It's poetic structure. The thing in the middle, whatever's in the middle. It can be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, G, F. I can't do the alphabet backwards, whatever that is. Uh, so, you know, the thing in the middle, the thing that's the, where the two letters are together. So the thing that's the most important is to believe. That's been all the way through Romans. But righteousness comes by what? Faith. Belief. So Deuteronomy says, believe it. Then speak it. Then do it. You know, in Herman's uh, teaching, if you speak something, you'll start to think it. Right? You think it and then you do it. All right? So believe it. Think it. Do it. So the first thing is believe. Believe in your heart. God's raised him from the dead. That gives you righteousness. For with the heart one to believes unto righteousness, from faith to faith. So you're born into the family of God just by believing. And then you actually live a righteous life on a daily basis by what? Believing. Believe what the Word says. Believe what God tells us. And then speak it. And then doing it is implied. If you believe and then speak, the, uh, the expectation is you're going to do. Believe from faith. Believe Jesus is the Messiah. And then believe that His Word is true on a daily basis. But that's the meat, and you got the bread on either side. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, as you're living your life, speak in such a way that it reflects Jesus. And the last confession, confession is made unto salvation. What do we need to be saved from here? From living a life that's unrighteous. We're talking here to believers whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And these people are trying to get them to walk under the law instead of walking by faith. And he's saying, no, no, no. Faith from beginning to end. So this is how we get righteousness. Righteousness is lining up with the design that God gave us. The, the way God made us. It's putting the things 
that were designed into us and into nature back into harmony again. Lining it up with God's design. That's what righteousness truly is. There's all kinds of fake righteousness out there. All kinds of false righteousness with false standards. And they're all going to bring us death if we adhere to those. So we believe what Jesus said. And when we believe what Jesus said and confess it, actually say those thoughts, think those thoughts, and then do those things, now we're conforming our life to the way God designed us to be. And we are bringing unilaterally righteousness into the world. We're unilaterally bringing harmony into the world. Simple example to end on. You can't have a harmonious relationship between two people unless both cooperate. Right? Kind of takes two to dance. But you can be righteous in a relationship with two people unilaterally. How do you do that? I will do my part the way God told me to do my part irrespective of what the other person does. That can be a relationship between a friend and an enemy. I will pray for my enemy and bless my enemy no matter what they do back to me. Yep. I'm bringing harmony into the world even if that person will not accept it. Even if there's still violence, I'm bringing harmony into the world. Truth. I'm speaking truth to someone, they hate it. I'm still bringing harmony in the world because I'm bringing truth in. And God's standard is the standard. Love. I'm going to love that person irrespective of whether I get anything back for it. Of course, telling someone the truth is loving. And if they reject me from it, that's their choice. I'm not in control of that person. That's unilaterally bringing God's design into the world because why? We believe. And then we confess. We live that life that way. And when we do that, we are bringing daikasune into the world. It's a whole lot easier to come up with a list. Because I'll tell you what that list will look like. It'll look like stuff that's not hard for me. But it's hard for you. That's what it'll look like. And it'll make me okay and you not. I don't have a problem with substance abuse. Gossip's just not that important of a problem. It's a minor flaw. So we're just going to overlook that. Notwithstanding the fact that gossip destroys organizations and ruins relationships. We'll just overlook that one. Or whatever. And that's where legalism comes in. And that's what Paul accuses these guys of in the book of Romans. That's human nature. That's what we do. Righteousness. God's design lining up. How do we gain it? Believe what he says. Speak what he says. Think what he says is true. And then do those things. That's how it happens. When we do that, we escape all the problems that sin brings. When we don't do that, we bring all that sin we were delivered from right back into our lap again. So that's the point. All right. Thanks, God, for this amazing message that you give us in this incredible book of Romans. Thank you for the life of Paul, his faithfulness. Thank you that you took a horrible situation for Paul where he was defending slander having his entire mission risked, and out of it came this letter that millions have read and that we're studying today. And thank you that you take horrible situations, just like is promised in Romans, horrible situations, and turn them into amazing, wonderful things. And we know that we are all, according to this book, horrible situations. We cannot tell the truth, and we're violent by nature. We want our own way. And we want to be ascendant over others. And we're just that way. And you redeem us. You give us the power to overcome that. And you give us the knowledge to overcome that. And we fail. 
And it doesn't matter in terms of whether we have that power or whether you accept us. Such an amazing privilege that we have. And I pray that you would have that power flow through us in a way that makes others marvel, even today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen.